Your program helps point me to Jesus and not look back. William in West Virginia. I'm Charles Morris here with Haven Today, and so many people have told us how much this ministry has helped them in their walk with Christ. Tomorrow is December 31st, and we really need to hear from you. Your partnership to keep sharing Christ with both Christians and non-Christians alike, may I count on you to help us catch up with our budget by the end of the year. And let me remind you that we've had a few generous supporters set up a matching challenge of $100,000 that can double what you give. Pray about how much you can send. And don't wait till 11.59 p.m. tomorrow night to call 800-65-HAVEN. Do it right now. Or visit us at haventoday.org right now. And I'll share that again with you in just a moment. But now, let's get started. All Lang Syne. Many will sing it tomorrow night, but most won't understand it. Scottish poet Robbie Burns claims he was the first to write down the old folk song back in 1788. The title, roughly translated into English, means for old time's sake. Scotsman Burns claimed he got the lyrics from an old man, and it had never been in print before. But how did all dang sign get connected with New Year's Eve? One story says a band leader used the song as transitional music during a New Year's Eve radio broadcast from New York City in 1929. And that was enough to start the modern tradition of singing a song of nostalgia and remembrance for old times' sake. David once wrote in Psalm 143 that he remembered the days of long ago and meditated in the good and mighty works of God's hand. May we do the same for all Lang Syne. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus. And can you believe it? We're wrapping up a best of 2022 series today on C.S. Lewis called The Most Reluctant Convert. All week, we've been thinking about the unlikely conversion of Clive Staples Lewis. He had given all of his mental energy and intellect to resist Christianity. But once he met Christ, he used the same vigor to proclaim the good news of Jesus to all he encountered. He came to national prominence during World War II when he was asked by the BBC to deliver a series of lectures on the Christian faith. After this, he was a highly sought-after speaker. One of his major themes was on the problem of pain. Yesterday, I received a letter that referred to an event that took place almost a year ago now, December the 4th, 1951. My correspondent hadn't forgotten, and I doubt if any of us have. That was the night a number one bus drove into a column of young Royal Marine cadets in Chatham and killed 24 of them. You remember? Now, the letter asks some simple but fundamental questions. Where was God on that December night? Why didn't he stop it? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't he supposed to love us? And does God want us to suffer? What if the answer to that question is yes? See, I'm not sure that God particularly wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to be able to love and be loved. He wants us to grow up. 
I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he makes us the gift of suffering. Or to put it another way, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A short excerpt from the 1993 film called Shadowlands, where Sir Anthony Hopkins played an older C.S. Lewis. That lecture was based on many that Lewis gave around his country after the war. And today, in these next few minutes, we're going to think about some of the pain Lewis experienced in his marriage to Joy Davidman. Oh, the pain wasn't between the two of them. No, the problems they experienced came when Joy was diagnosed with cancer shortly after their marriage. Stay with me as we think more about the problem of pain and the question that comes with it. Is God still good, even as we suffer? And we'll also hear again from Max McLean. He created the most remarkable film to date about the conversion of C.S. Lewis, called The Most Reluctant Convert, The Untold Story of C.S. Lewis. In the Trinity Town, 1929, I gave in and admitted that God is God, knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected, reluctant convert in all England. That's the voice of Max McLean, who plays an older C.S. Lewis, looking back on his life and his journey to faith in Christ. After the program, I want to send you this DVD of this movie on Lewis for your end-of-year gift to the ministry. Tomorrow is the final day of the year. We could really use your help to meet our year-end budget goal and catch us up. I know this movie will encourage your faith, and it may just be used as a conversation starter with someone in your family or a friend who's struggling with their own faith. We're answering the phones 24-7 at 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN, or visit our website, watch the movie trailer, and then make your tax-deductible year-end gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And remember, we have a $100,000 matching challenge gift set up by a few supporters of the ministry. Dollar for dollar will be doubled up to 100000 twice the impact for sharing the gospel in 2023. And now let's open the program with Shane and Shane. He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith, Christ will hold me fast When the tempter would fail He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful pain For my love is often cold He must hold me
Shane and Shane's version of He Will Hold Me Fast. I'm Charles Morris. C.S. Lewis had an up and a down relationship with happiness. We've already talked this week about his mother's death, leaving him a hurting atheist at the tender age of nine. But God wasn't finished with this budding academic. Lewis described himself as the most reluctant convert in all of England. In fact, that's the title of our series this week on the program. And despite the opposition to his faith that he found in the academic world, Lewis found happiness. Or more precisely, Lewis came face to face with joy. Joy Davidman is whom I'm speaking of, the woman who would become his wife. But that joyous relationship didn't mean that Lewis was done with suffering. Listen to what my friend Max McLean has to say about the life of C.S. Lewis and the new movie that he made about him. What we wanted to do was was capture Lewis's journey from hard-boiled atheist, vigorous debunker of Christianity. Yes. You know, his he had uh, he had the rhetorical gifts of somebody like uh, Christopher Hitchens, um, and could have been like him if the Lord hadn't uh, gotten hold of him. Uh, but you know, his life was uh, his atheism came. You know, as as a result of he lost his mother to cancer when he was a boy. He had an estranged relationship with his father that grew mm. worse after his mother died. Mm. He experienced the senseless brutality of trench warfare in World War One, and uh, through that, he came to the conclusion that either there was no God behind the universe, a God indifferent to good and evil, or worse, an evil God. Mm. And that was the starting point for uh, his the 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 starting point from his. Uh, hard-boiled atheist to his conversion. It took many years, uh, primarily through the witness of his friends. J.R.R. Tolkien was one. Owen Barfield was another. Hugo Dyson. All three are cast in the movie. Um, and, uh, and you know, Lewis himself explains it later that uh, what they pointed out to him was that his argument against God was that the universe was so cruel and unjust. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. where did he get this notion of cruel and unjust? He, You know, you call a line crooked because... You have some idea of a straight line. Well, what am I comparing the universe with when I call it cruel and unjust? Mm -hmm. And so that was a big step towards seeking God. And 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 he uh, in the movie and in the book, there is this movement towards what he calls theism, which you and I kind of think is pretty soft. But Lewis was that was a big deal for him to at least believe in God. It was a huge deal. Because he saw belief in God uh, like Moses at the burning bush. Yeah. Uh, that I am that I am. And he he finally, he said, you must picture me alone in my room, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that got him to God. And and yet that's when his real conversion came. He couldn't quite understand where Christ fit fit in. And that came later, primarily through uh, conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien. Haven today at a program called The Most Reluctant Convert. That was Max McLean talking about the life of C.S. Lewis, the new movie he's made on him called The Most Reluctant Convert. Even though Lewis belonged to Jesus, all of his problems didn't just vanish. And even though he met, fell in love, and married Joy, he still had to suffer on this fallen earth, just like all of us. 
He married Joy in 1956, but she died of cancer in 1960 at the age of 45, eight years after she first met Lewis. This wonderful love story ended in tragedy, a life taken so young, a marriage ending when it had only really just begun. Well, Lewis dealt with severe grief, of course. I think most of us can understand that, even if we haven't gone through a similar situation in our lives. He kept journals where he recorded how he mourned. And as he tried to process the loss of the wife he loved, he began to question his faith. He even records anger at God. That sounds so familiar, doesn't it? When he lost his mother, he became an atheist. When he lost his wife, he began to question and doubt. It was the pain that did it. You know what? Jesus held on to C.S. Lewis, even when Lewis didn't know if he wanted to hold on to Jesus. But he began to understand that God moves in mysterious ways. We can't always understand what he's doing, but we can know that God is good. And that brings comfort, even if it doesn't take away our pain. Three years after Joy's death, C.S. Lewis went to see his Savior face to face. In fact, he died the same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The most reluctant convert in all of England was welcomed into heaven, and they lived happily ever after. We grow up with tales that end like that, don't we? Especially bedtime stories or Disney movies. And so, from the time we're small children, we have this idea of what makes a happy ending. The conflict resolves. The villain is defeated. Peace and prosperity win over. But our lives tell a different story, don't they? There isn't always a happy ending, at least as far as our earthly lives are concerned. Anyone who thinks that the Christian life is one that's free from pain and suffering just needs to read the Psalms. Mourning is part of life. But the good news is there's a greater story than your life and mine. That doesn't mean that our lives are unimportant, but it does mean that we're part of something bigger, the greatest story ever told. And it's all about Jesus, like we say every day. That's the only reason our pain and suffering can be bearable. We see that God worked our salvation through the pain and suffering of Christ, anguish so great that you and I can never gain a grip on it. Our hope of the new creation only comes to us through the pain and death of the Son of God. So with that in mind, let's think about one of the most comforting passages in the Bible that hardly anyone talks about, Isaiah 26. This was the message that the Lord brought to his people in Judah through the ministry of his prophet Isaiah. They were on their way to exile. Babylon's army would be marching to Jerusalem before too long, and that's what makes the first verse so surprising. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. This is why they could find hope. Even though the earthly Jerusalem's days were numbered, they still had this city, that heavenly Jerusalem. The future promise was far better than the reality of the past. Well, this is our hope, if we're trusting in Christ. One day, we get to see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. But in the meantime, God's people have to suffer. And that's what we read about in the middle of the chapter. Have you ever felt that tension? This is the experience of all of us who trust in Christ. 
Heavenly Zion is ours, but we're not yet in Zion. Christ earned heaven for us, but we can't yet enjoy it fully. We're still pilgrims making pilgrimages here on this earth. And on this earth, unless Christ returns first, death comes for us all. It came for Joy Davidman. It came for C.S. Lewis. It'll come for you and me. So how should we think about death? Is it black nothingness? Is it something to be feared? Is it the last cruel joke of a God who doesn't care about us? No, 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 not in the least. Listen to the promise in Isaiah twenty-six nineteen: Your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. God delivers his people by the resurrection. In fact, this verse is one of the clearest examples of resurrection in all of the Old Testament. Why could the believing remnant of Judah take comfort, even though they knew their city would soon be destroyed and their countrymen killed or exiled? Because this greater Jerusalem was on the way. And although they would die, even if it was at the hands of a Babylonian soldier, God would not leave their bodies in the dirt. He would raise them up just like he will raise us. But what about in the meantime? We know that this resurrection doesn't happen until the end. How should we think of death today? Well, we've come to one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, at least the Old Testament. This is what the Lord says. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. Because of Jesus Christ, those who believe in him experience a transformation. And not just the transformation of a new life. Even in death, our very tomb or grave is transformed into a bedchamber. If you are trusting in Christ, your death and burial is like Noah being locked in the ark, or the Israelites in Egypt sheltering behind the bloody doorposts at the Passover. In other words, we who have repented and believed the gospel are God's people, and God can keep us safe even through death. One day, if Christ does not return first, you may be in a hospital room. You may be connected to machines and preparing to die. You may be taken in an accident at even a young age. But either way, these verses will fly as a banner over your grave. The Lord won't wipe away our tears until the new heavens and earth. But in the meantime, he's promised to be with us. And death has changed from curse to blessing. We will go to see our Savior face to face. Our struggle with sin will finally be over. We will have finished the race, just like Joy Davidman, just like C.S. Lewis, the most unlikely convert in all of England. And only then will we live happily forever. There is a hope that burns within my heart that gives me strength for every passing day. Of glory now revealed in meager part, yet drives all down the way. I stand.
a hope on this haven today. My wife and I have really enjoyed watching movies, even TV mysteries set in England. So when we heard that Max McLean shot his new film on C.S. Lewis on location in Oxford, we knew we needed to watch it. Well, we were pleasantly surprised. It's a top-notch production with great actors, amazing sets, but even better, the most reluctant convert the untold story of C.S. Lewis draws back the curtain to reveal Lewis's early life and his conversion to Christ in a way I've never seen before. I know you'll enjoy it like we did and be inspired by it. I want to send you the Most Reluctant Convert DVD for your generosity, your year-end gift to the ministry. We could really use your help to make our budget by tomorrow night at 11.59 p.m. So if Haven has been a blessing to you, would you pray about being a blessing to us right now? All gifts, large or small, will help us keep sharing the great story next year. Plus, up to $100,000. We have a matching challenge set up by some generous supporters to double the impact of your giving. And as our thanks for your tax-deductible gift, we'd love to send you the most reluctant convert on DVD. 
Here's the number you can call, 800-65-HAVEN, 800-65-HAVEN. Or watch the movie trailer on our website and make your gift there at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. And remember, we're answering the phones 24-7, but don't wait till midnight tomorrow. You need to get in touch with us right now to help us reach our goal. And you also get a tax deduction for 2022. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again next time in a new year when together we'll share the great story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. New year, new me. That seems to be a rallying cry of our age whenever the calendar turns over. January 1st is a chance to make big changes in our lives. The gyms fill up, junk food sales go down, unnecessary money is no longer spent, for about a month anyway. And then it's New Year, same me, and we all do it. So where's our hope for the new year? Well, the same place it was for the past year, in the Lord who provides. Psalm 67 puts it this way, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. This has been true from the beginning, and it's our comfort and hope for a brand new year. God will provide our needs, whether physical or even spiritual. Get started with Anchor Devotional today. Visit GetAnchor.com.